All right, so that's that's to start us off. So already I've kind of given you a little bit of a, a tantalizing clue about where we're heading in some of the homework here. The subject of wisdom is going to be one of the major ones. Um, when you are doing inductive Bible study, the most one of the most important things is to do that overview. That is what we are doing this week and next week. So um, I actually had a conversation with Kathy yesterday, and she was saying, now, are we supposed to know this and this? And, well, exactly how far are we supposed to be going, right? And I, this is always the hardest part, I think, for people who are first learning to do inductive Bible study, and that is when you're doing overview, understand you're not trying to figure out all of the tidbits on it yet. All you're trying to do is get the bigger picture. Precept, in their how-to study book, has a chapter on getting the big picture. So getting this overview picture. And what how they describe it is like an airplane fly, flying you know, at a high altitude, looking down upon the earth. And what you see is just kind of the big structure. You see the layout of the land. You see the roads. You kind of see, you see where the airport is and where the lake is. And you see the big chunky things. You're not down on the ground walking the city streets, sturdy, the city streets looking in the windows yet. We're going to do that later, right? So for right now, what you're trying to do is stay high and get big picture. Your number one goal, um, I'll bet you could have already figured this out, was to basically set historical context for the book, right? Tell me what you think the value in having historical context might be. Why, why do you think knowing historically what's going on when Daniel writes, why is that of value to us? Okay, well, that's one of our major rules, isn't it? Precept has a big, strong rule. Context is king, right? What does that mean, context is king? What does that mean? Def explain that to the new newcomers. There you go. It rules for interpretation. Now, in a book where we're going to be talking about kings and kingdoms and rulership and decrees and, you know, strong authority and, you know, absolute rule over things, that, you know, context being king is our big, our big um, hammer, so to speak. What it's going to do with context is give you one of our plumb lines that helps us so that we don't get out of whack. We talked about that earlier. To come to sound interpretation, you need a plumb line that you can bring your message or the things that you've interpreted up next to it and see whether or not you're in line, right, that you're on target. So the first thing you have to do is, is come to understand what your um, – context is, and you only can do that by doing an overview. In your overview, you want to stay big. Don't get too detailed yet. So don't get all excited or upset when you're in there and you're like, I want to know what that means. Well, it's not time yet. Okay, not this week, right? So I'm, I'm letting you release it. You can go, <sighs> release it. It's all good. It's going to come later. <laughs> okay. Um, now, context is basically defined by the fact that it's the environment in which something is found. And having an understanding of that environment helps you to understand why the author makes the points that he makes, correct? Okay, so it gives meaning to that word or that thought or that statement. So when you look at Daniel and the events that are taking place with Daniel and his friends, knowing the context into which you're, you're being told this story about them, it, you know, it's not just about them being trained by, um, by this kingdom to come into service for a king. It's why are they there? What happened to bring them there? 
Why is this significant? What does this have to do about God and our relationship with God as God is pouring this out in the pages of written word for you and I as a sound uh, doctrine that we are to hold fast to? So we need to understand the why behind it. We have to get that proper understanding. Um, so context is king for interpretation. Now, I also told you... Um, about the plumb line. Now, this is very interesting. In the book of Timothy, uh, there's a passage that relates to this in a slightly different way. Now, I'm just going to kind of read a little bit of this off my page. This is something I I have taught before. And so for those of you who've been with me a while, you're, this is going to be an old story. But it's always fun to go back to the old stories. And the reason I like this story um, better than than even what I see in, in K's is because it's my story. This is what God taught me, and this is an experience that God gave to me personally. So for me, it, it, it's just so it, it's just so exciting to see the God of the universe, the sovereign God who reigns over all things, reach down into time and history and touched me to show me something specific. And that's what he does for all of us, right? If you're watching for it, God is reaching down. He wants to speak to your heart. He wants to he wants to meet you in your need, and he wants to meet you where you are going to uh, feel his love, his presence, his power. You want that security. You want that personal, intimate relationship. So here, let me just tell you, Paul in the book of 2 Timothy, he's at the end of his life, right? He's passing on a responsibility to Timothy for the work of the gospel. Everybody kind of following me with that? Okay, the timeline for his departure is nearing. In the years of ministry that Paul had experienced, there had been many that had tried in various ways to either add to or take away from the scriptures, right? I mean, how many times did he have to go back in and get them back online and, and correct their doctrine and say no to this and yes to that and, and set them straight? Boy, Corinthians alone is a, is a loaded book on do's and don'ts, right? Okay, so Paul vigorously defended the faith and the principles of doctrine at every turn. So we see that in almost every book that he wrote on this subject of, of retaining things, of keeping it where it's supposed to be, not faltering right or left on what God's word said. Don't mess with the standards. Don't mess with God's pictures, right? Don't change your doctrines. So this is what Paul says to Timothy. Now, interestingly, this is at the end of his life, and he's about to pass on the work. This is like his farewell address, right? Here's what he says uh, to uh, Timothy. Second uh, Timothy 1, 13 and 14, retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and the love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. Okay? Now, I want to tell you a real quick story about a trip I made to Greece. I love this because this is where God taught me about the standard. Do you guys remember some? Those of some of you are nodding. I remember this story. Do you want to tell the story for me? You can tell the story. No, I'll tell it. I know that's really sad when my students could tell my stories. Okay, <laughs> okay. October 17, 1999. We went uh, on a trip, or I went on a trip to um, Greece for a. It was called Paul's Journey. I was with the Precept Ministries team. Uh, Kay Arthur was our teacher along the journey. And th at this particular point in our in our trip, we were in Athens. Um, the ancient Agora was below us. So you can kind of visualize at the top of this hill and below is this lush, green, beautiful 
uh, streets filled with, with the trees and you can you can envision it when it was filled with all of the these uh, the merchants and the things that were going on and off in the distance there is the Acropolis the infamous Parthenon right that housed the goddess Athena and all those other gods um, we gathered on that distant hill so that we could get this panoramic view and kind of get a, a perspective again get context to everything um, I arrived at the top of that hill at the end of the procession. We had about 200 people on this trip. I can't remember how many buses, five or six or eight or something like that. It was a lot of buses. Um, so as I wandered up this hill, I found a little place to sit because I got in there late because, of course, I'm yakking. That's my... I'm known for that. Um, and there was a place, there was no, no place along the back. Most of the people had found a place to sit along. What we were going to do is a couple hours of uh, Bible teaching by K. So you need to find a place and get seated and be comfortable for a couple of hours, right? And all of us are hauling with us our Bibles, our papers, our pants. I mean, it was, it was a study tour. So it was work, but it was so fun. Anyway, so I got to the top. All the, the good seats are taken, right? So I found this place, and you can see here this little box that I'm sitting in. Can you see it? Because I was much younger then. And you can look at this later, but it's just this little squ a, a, a concrete square. And down below there was this hole, and I thought, because all the good spots were taken, one of the hardest things to do, as you know, is to sit with your legs crossed, right, for hours. So I thought, Bob. I'll sit right there. I sat on the edge of that thing and hung my legs down. I went, ha, I got the best seat in the house. I'm up front. I can see Kay better than them. And my feet are down. I'm in a sitting position as opposed to, you know, crouched over a rock. So that's kind of the scenario. So as I'm sitting there, um, we've been on this trip for a while. And so the people started teasing me, um, which I'm an easy target. I'm a blonde. And I, I take the jokes very easily. So it was no problem. So they're teasing me. You're sitting in a trash can, they said. And off at the distance, we had a uh, tour guide that was with us, a Greek tour guide. She came over apparently hearing the conversation. And I think she was a little concerned that I had, you know, they thought I was sitting in a trash can. She comes over and she crouches down next to me and whispers to me. She says, "You're this is not um, a trash can. This is a standard. And I said, a standard? What's a standard? She said, well, look over here. And she said, on this mountain over here is a quarry. And this is where they quarry out the clay and the, uh, the, the mud and the dirt, the soil, the things that they use to make the pottery here in the for the agora down below that we just looked at, right? And I said, oh, that's interesting. And she said, yes. Yeah. So they make these pots. And she said, and once they're formed and made ready to use, they bring them back to the standard and they will sit them down inside the standard uh, to see if they're the correct size. If the pottery is the correct size, meets the standard, then it is, a wire loop is put on it. It's sealed with a little lead seal with, a, with an inscription on it to certify it as keepable, good, accurate. It's been checked and it's been made sure that it's good, it's sound, right? And if it doesn't fit in that standard, you know, what was interesting is I looked down in there. Sure enough, down below my feet, there was a stone that was kind of an oval-shaped uh, basin to it. Um, of course, it was covered up with some debris. People did think it was a trash can. Sadly, you know, tourists, what do you think? But but this stand, this piece of pottery would have been placed down in that standard to see if it fit. If it's too small, 
it's not good. If it's too big, it doesn't fit, it's also not going to work. So if it was not acceptable, then it would be taken to the refuse pile and broken. Broken. Think of that. And I'm like, oh, that's very interesting. Wow. Stand. And all of a sudden, the Lord brought into my mind 2 Timothy. I'm going to read it again for you. Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and the love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. So this is what I want to tell you. If our conclusions about the things that we're looking at as we're studying in Daniel, if, if they don't make sense when we place them into the standard, and you know what our standard is? The context that we're setting this week and next week. So if, if what we come to conclusion doesn't fit our standard, doesn't make sense in the context, then you know what we do? We must take it where? To the refuse pile and do what with it? Break it. And that means you can't even say, oh, I think I'll sneak it back in. No, you can't do that. You have to go back to the beginning. You have to go back and, and reevaluate things and figure out where you went wrong along the way. You need to maybe do some additional work in one way or another. Maybe you need to, to put into place the use of another inductive tool. We have a toolbox, all kinds of tools in our toolbox as inductive students that we can pull out and use as we're going through this. But if our, if our context is set, right? We draw a wrong conclusion. We come back and put it in there. It doesn't fit. We're done with it. We need to break it and put it aside. And you know what? There's so much freedom in that. If you, if you know that's the rules, kind of, then instead of you hanging on to your conclusion and, well, I came to this conclusion and God showed me this. Well, but if it doesn't fit, if it doesn't make sense, then don't try to hang on to something that you know is obviously wrong. Correct? And doesn't that give you freedom? Because now instead of it being yours, what you now have is a tool through the inductive method that helps you come to sound interpretation and it to be something that you can base it off of other than your own emotions, right? Or your own feelings about something or even a presupposition that you brought in. It's such an amazing method of study when you learn all the tools in it because you're going you're gonna to get to a place where you so rely on that that you don't even want to step out until you've made sure it fits the context, you know. All right, so that that is kind of my word of exhortation. I took a little bit of our time to do that this morning, but I think it's going to exhort you in understanding the value of week one and week two and where you're headed. You're headed to, to create your standard. Boy, your standard had better be right, right? So we want to get the standard correct. And then once we go back in and use it as our plumb line and we, we check to see if our pot fits in that standard, then we're going to be good to go from, from then on, right? Everybody say, yay! <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay, we're happy on that one. Okay, so now um, in order to do that, Basically, K takes you through a process of doing homework each day. Now, you have assignments each day. What each one day's homework is supposed to be approximately an hour. Um, I tend to go longer than that on them. It depends on how fast you are, how slow you are. Some sometimes, you know, some people are just quick and they whip right through it. Others of us, like me, are very, very slow and it takes me a little bit longer. So it's just a rule of thumb. But that's the homework plan. Um, 
Now, what we did in our homework this week on each of those days was she wanted to give us an overview. Now, when you are looking at history um, and prophecy, which, by the way, did you did you come to see what your literary style was this week in your homework? It was one of your questions, history and prophecy. And so what we have to do is we have to figure out how to handle historical and prophetic books, right? Mostly what we're seeing in the first part is what? History. So when you are looking at history, how do you think you should handle historical written documents? Literally. When you interpret them, it should be, an, whatever is said should be uh, just matter of fact. It's like it, it was here. This is who did it. This is how they did it. This is when they did it. Right? Or this is why they did it. You're looking for the as Kay took us through then what she did was she said I want you to look for the big chunky things tell me what were some of the questions she asked us to look for open up your sheet on page one you to look at when do the events of the chapter occur, what king or kingdom is ruling at the time, so let's pick out the characters first, right, um, what in general is happening, and then she goes and she makes a little section that applies to those where you're going to come across visions or dreams, and then in the bottom she says basically I want you to conclude what you think this chapter is about, give it a theme or a title right? Theme and title mean the same thing. All right, so that was your homework for this week, and that's what we are going to try to cover at, like, blitz speed this morning, okay? But remember, we're only doing the big picture, so we don't have to go into any of the, the smaller details concerning each, uh, each storyline. Okay, all right, so let's start by... We want to develop a timeline. Let's do go ahead and get just get our basic points down about what we observed in each chapter together, so that that that's kind of going to be our first step, I think. All right, tell me who are the main characters. Let's start with the who first. Who are the main characters in chapter one? We have good old Nebby, and I just call him Neb for short. Okay, for obvious reasons. <laughs> okay, and so that's in one one. Now, what I prefer is if when you give me an answer, if you will please give me the street work, you will be careful to write those in there. The reason for that is so that as you and I together collect information and put it on the board, we could all be in agreement that that's the correct answer. And if you have a question, I can give you this street address, then what can happen is while you're sitting there quietly going, what? What? I don't think that's right. You can real quickly look at the street address that's been given. You can go back into that chapter and verse and read it real quickly and say, oh yeah, that's what it says. All right. I missed that. <laughs> Or, oh, yeah, I knew that. <laughs> okay. Okay, so the first one is King Nebuchadnezzar, the first one in 1 1. Who else is in that chapter? Jehoiakim is in there also. I probably spelt that wrong. And that is also in 1 1. And um, 
when you're speaking on the who on this, it's going to ask you uh, some other de details about history later, but Nebuchadnezzar, is he identified with a nation? Okay. What is that? Babylon. And what about Jehoiakim? Judah. All right. So we have one one on each of those again. And any others? Pardon? Ashpenaz, the king of the officials, exactly. So he is also becomes he becomes a key part of the story. But would you say that on the bigger picture that Jehoiakim is really what the storyline is about? Do you think he is the bigger inference on what's going on in here? No, not really. It's really more, if you're looking for big picture, it's really more about these two kings, the king of Israel and the king of Babylon, correct? Later, you get down into the deeper details, which we're going to do when we go into observation of chapter, because, um, what was his name? Ashpenaz. The chief of the officials. And does how long does he carry on into this story and how much time does he take up? Not very much. It's, it's one of the, that's very interesting because here, here's what happens is I, in the beginning, you're going to pick up a name like that. It's just like, for instance, who else is named in there? Well, of course, God. Yes. All right. We're always, now this is a good point that Diane brings up. God is mentioned in the Hebrew reference. Say it again. The vessel of the house of God. Okay, there's a. But give me another one with his name or his title. Okay. What does one nine say? Okay, let's do that. God granted Daniel favor. One nine. Okay. Whenever we're in scripture, obviously, correct. In every single book that you do, God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, if they are mentioned at all, those are considered key, and you always write them down, and you're always going to pay attention to the things that are taught to you or shown to you concerning those, uh, the, the Godhead, correct? Yes. That's right. We're looking for the historical context right now. We're looking for the bigger picture. We're not going to, today, we're going about what's going on in chapter one. It's a lot of really good stuff in there, like what? What are some of the things that are going on in there? Israel has been taken into captivity because of their Yeah, now, in the storyline. Yeah, they were. They did take the vessels. That's bigger picture. That is historical marker. Yes, and they start to train them, right? And there's this this Jehoic or um, Ash. I keep forgetting his name, Ash, because I didn't cut. I didn't focus on him this week. Ashpenaz is the one who was uh, in charge of these young men for their training. And so, in the storyline, who went, who proposes a test? Daniel does. So what we're going to see then is Daniel comes up in this, and also who else? His three friends, right? Uh, 
Thank you. Azra had an eye. Yeah. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. <laughs> right? <laughs> okay. So what happens is, is once we get into the details, we're going to go into the, into the details of that storyline of what happens once they get into this captivity. For, for overview, we're looking for bigger picture. We're looking for co historical context points, things that are going to help us to set the historical context for the book. We don't really need to go into the details of the storyline yet. Now, when we do lesson three, we're going to go back to chapter one. I'm going to say, who are the key people and what's going on with them? And he's going to come up and that's when we're going to pay attention to him. And we're going to work out all the details on how he's important. So this is a very good point that you brought about. And what is your name? I'm sorry. I can't see it from here. James. James. Okay. And so James, this is a really good point that you bring it up actually, because what it helps me to do as a teacher is to show you the distinction between overview and detail work. In overview, you're looking for historical context points. You're looking to see the bigger picture. When in history did this happen? What was going on in history that caused these young men to be taken in and to go through the things that they're going to go through in chapter one? Right? So you're trying to say bigger picture. Yes. There you go. I love that. Uh, okay, so the win is going to be the third year of Jehoiakim. I found it on my page this time, so I got it better. And he was the king of Judah. Wow, do you think that gives you insight about con historical context? Right, because it's telling you basically where on a timeline are you going to put the dot, right? So if we are looking at this, we can actually go over here and start to say in chapter 1, we are looking at something that has happened to Israel, right, to, to Judah, and what, what happened to them happened to them because of who? What force? Who God allowed it to Nebuchadnezzar. So if we're looking at a timeline and we're trying to put a timeline in place so we can mark it on a calendar, so to speak, we're going to say, okay, it's about a time frame when Israel goes into its captivity, right? So we see that in this case, he says, hold on, let me get my other sheet. Because I made a really simple list. We're going to try to develop a little bit of a timeline. My timeline that I'm going to do with you this morning takes what Kay did, and I'm going to magnify just the information that pertains to what we looked at this week. So this chart that you all looked at and were supposed to color code and kind of mark as you went along in that, I think it was day five, correct? What I'm doing now is saying, okay, that's too much information for what we want to know right now. One of the things about inductive Bible says it, it does get detailed. Um, and you will little by little add all the layers and you, but it, it's almost information overkill sometimes. So we want to bring, slim, uh, streamline it, bring it down to the simplest format that we can in the beginning. Start with that. Once we get that in our head, we can build on it. Right, and then, but then, by by halfway through the study, we'll be going back to this, going, yeah, I know it, yep, yep, yep. Right, right now we're looking at and our eyes are crossing, correct? Right, okay. But if we do this, this is going to 
make it much more simple. So the first thing, what we saw in verse 1 about the historical setting then, in chapter 1, what happened to Jerusalem? It was besieged. By who? By Babylon. Right. And that's in verse 1, correct? And in verse 2, what do we learn about Judah? The ki what happened to the king of Judah? That's right. He was given into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, or the king of Babylon, right? In 1-2. Th this is already starting to make a historical uh, context be more clear to us by just looking for those points that give us historical placement, right, on a timeline. Um, because what we've done is we've weeded out all the other extra information. There's other stuff in there that's really good, and we'll dig it all out, and we'll go back to it when we do our detailed information in Chapter 1. But for right now, we're looking for big picture. Um, all right, so those are the first two points. Um, what else did we learn about the win? Any others? Oh, yeah, that was really cool. So at the end of it, it says that Daniel continued. And you, the inference is under Babylon, right? Uh, or under the king, King Nebuchadnezzar. I like to use my little crown because that's really helpful for me visually. So he, he continued under that king until who? Until the first year of Cyrus. And do we know who Cyrus is? Okay, so we know he is also a king, correct? And it's very interesting. What we're seeing, though, with, with uh, this particular chapter is this king has taken these young men captive, and he's brought them in, and what is he doing with them? He's re-educating them, basically, right? For what purpose? To serve him. So what we see then is this king is establishing his kingdom, so to speak. He's setting up the, the workings, the inner workings of how things are going to be structured, who's going to be. In, it's kind of like what we just did this morning. This is Kristen. This is uh, um, Kathy. This is, right? So we go through and we say, this person's doing this. This person's doing this. So we're seeing an establishing of a kingdom as we watch what we're seeing with Nebuchadnezzar here. He's taking these men captive. He's training them up. He's going to put them into service. And he talks about not only them, but others as well, right? There's, there's other Chaldeans as well that are being trained. So he's setting up his kingdom. So that gives us a clue then, right, as to what's going on here, is that this is the beginning of the Babylonian kingdom or close to the beginning now we're gonna we know from this chart there's a little bit more to that story but from what we know at this point just from our text is that this is apparently near the beginning or at the beginning of the Babylonian kingdom and what does it say there oh Yep, 121. 
Right, okay, and he continued until the year of Cyrus. Now that's going to be interesting to us when, when we get through all of the chapters and we come to the place where Cyrus is mentioned again. Do you remember where that is? Well, no, but where in our Daniel book did Cyrus's name come up again? What, chapter 6? Very good, chapter 6, it comes up again. So what you can say is, okay, well, at the beginning it's Nebuchadnezzar and he's working under him and it says he works under him until the first year of Cyrus. So when we get to 6, what do we know is happening there then at this point? We're at the beginning of another, what? Kingdom. So you can go all the way to the end. So let's just do that together. Let's look at chapter 1. It's just one clue. There's other clues as well that we see as we go along. Chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, and chapter 6, okay? So we know that in chapter 6, flip over to chapter 6, just to keep you good and confused. What do you see at the beginning of chapter 6 is happening? What's happening in those first verses of chapter 6? Oh, wow! Isn't that amazing? It's the, it's the very first thing that he teaches you in chapter 6 is that here we see a new king that's mentioned. And what do we see him doing? Appointing people for administrative positions in his kingdom. He's a new name. And what we now know from having the insight that Kay gave us is he is a king over a different kingdom, right? And he's now establishing his kingdom. Isn't that amazing how much you learn without a commentary? Just by pulling and paying attention and looking for the right things, you can come to set your own context without someone else having to tell you. So let's go over here and let's say his, let's look over here and say the same thing. We see uh, that Daniel continues. So I'm going to make a separate little, I'm going to do this. Kay had one of these kind of on our thing here. So this is Daniel. Um, in service to the king until first year of Cyrus. So you can know, therefore, that we see Daniel begins here at the beginning. He comes all the way down here. And so Daniel... in service until first year of Cyrus. But that's a really bad pin. 121. I'm going to put that reference there so that you know where I got that point from. And all that's going to do is help us to connect now a timeline. And now what we know is we're going to plug in chapter 2, 3, 4, and 5 and find out do they fit within the con of that timeline or do they are they outside of that timeline okay so now we can go back to chapter one um, Kate gave us a little bit of insight about uh, the age of 
Daniel, but the the emphatic statement to us is giving us to us right in the text. What does it say in chapter one about the age of these young men? They're youths. So they're young. <laughs> That's really all we know. So what we do know, though, is culturally, what would young be? A young man would be of what age? We have one in our midst, yes, Joseph. This is a young man who's, who's not a child anymore. He's not a full-grown adult yet, but he's a young man. Think of that. Can you imagine being Daniel at the age of Joseph, going into the scenario that he has gone into and what we've looked at this week? And doing what he did, holding fast to his faith system, holding fast to the God that uh, that he was raised on as a youth. So what does that tell you about him? Is you just ponder on that. Somebody taught him well, and he was real receptive to it, wasn't he? I mean, honestly, we have youths at the age of 14. They can walk away from God. They can refuse to believe what's being taught to them. But Daniel did not. He held fast to what he had been trained up in, the things that he came to, to love and to, to know about who God was. And would you say that um, his knowledge of God was advantageous in any way for him as he went through what he was going through? Where did he come from? How did he get there? What happened to him when he got there? Consider who Nebuchadnezzar is. Now, we're, we've not done any additional research, but we will in time. When you look into the history of Nebuchadnezzar, he is a ruthless, ruthless man. Yeah, scary. Um, so if you consider how precarious maybe he felt in that moment, being ripped from his home, from his family, from everything that was familiar to him, put into a foreign culture, into a foreign nation, off of his land, away from everything that was familiar to him, and he had to stand on his own two feet. And he had to do so, and he did so in an amazing way. Now, for you and I, when I talked to you earlier about setting goals, one of the things I think was really important to us is to understand or to come to understand what it is that we're aiming for in this study. Yes, I'm going to teach you the inductive method, and I'm going to show and demonstrate these things to you, which is what I'm doing here. But along this journey, what you are going to be doing is getting an intimate look into the heart and the lives of men. and um, people who were put in really hard circumstances. Think of where our nation is today. I would say we're in some pretty hard circumstances, and this is only the beginning. It's going to become much, much worse. We know this. I'm praying for rapture like tonight. That'd be great. Or, or now, that'd be good too. We can just, you know, I'll go and get the, the end of the story right now. But Daniel's story and the things that we can pick up on and the things that we can learn from him as a human being, as a man, under hardship, under stress, under fear, and how he responded to that is, is, a, is a valuable thing in you and I's lives. And it can really give us confidence and courage and peace in our daily living if we can just grab hold of those truths. So the first goal for me is to learn all I can about Daniel the man. Okay, I, I'm not sure if it's next week or not, but we are going to begin a list on Daniel at some point. And you are going to be asked to pay close attention to the things that you're seeing about his character and about how he responds to the world that he's 
you know, basically enduring in and living in. And he, he does more than just endure. He really abounds in it. As a matter of fact, there's a couple of times we'll look at them later where we see him prospering. He's not just hanging on for all he's got and boohooing through the whole thing. He is walking in the power and the might of God. He is giving God all the glory. I mean, it's, what we're going to be learning about him is going to be so powerfully motivating for every one of us, I think. Okay. All right. So that's Daniel. Daniel under that. So who are given to us? The wind. Now this wind begins to establish our timeline for us. Now what are the main events? Look at the what. Because this is going to help you basically give your first chapter a title. And what's going to happen by looking at your titles, not so much just the first one you do, but by the time you've titled all 12 chapters, you're going to be able to begin to see a really big picture of exactly what the author's goal is in his writing to us, why he's writing. We are attempting to get there. We won't get there this week, but by the time we finish next week, you should be able to come to a fairly good conclusion by the obvious things that are very big, chunky pictures. We're not looking at details, just the big, chunky things. What's this author writing to us about? Why is God pinning this through Daniel for us? What does he want us to know, right? So what is it that's going on here? Oh, yes, Daniel. Obviously, we just skipped him altogether. <laughs> Poor Daniel. Right, not so much about the other things, but he is a key player in the whole book. Yes, they are. Okay, so what happens? Captive. Oh, I love this. Captive, captives. And I'm going to put on here specifically some geography in order to give the context again. Captives from Jerusalem slash Judah, right, are taken to Babylon. Whoops. One two, I think, is a good one. It, I think, it pretty well. Read one two for us. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, the house of God, and he brought oh yeah, the vessels into the treasury, the Okay, but it starts out by telling you that he, that Nebuchadnezzar takes them into this captivity, right? So it's what we're seeing then in is a in a historical context is Israel's being taken captive into where Babylon. Okay. Yeah, but okay, so two and three together give us the big, the, the big chunky picture that we need to know that they have been taken captive. Where they came captive from, do you think that's significantly important for us? What, what does that tell us as far as setting context for this writing? If they tell us who gets taken captive and to where, what does that tell us? I mean, what would be the motive in writing that out for us? Okay, yeah, who got where, and eventually we want to know why, 
right? Why do they, why would God do Now, who is Israel to God? Now, these are questions that are going to pose for you now. We're not ready to answer them. But, you know, if these are God's people, why did God let them get taken captive? What happened that caused that? We're going to do some research on that and come to find that out. But why are they there? Why did God let this happen? After all, how many times have you heard, well, if, there, if God is a God of love, why does he allow bad things to happen to good people? <laughs> oh, Kathleen, I love you. <laughs> Amen, sister. <laughs> all right, you're, you're, dis, you're dismissed. <laughs> we just finished the whole storyline. Um, but you know what? There's a hope. And this is what really the book is going to show to us as time goes on is although they're in the midst of this and God is obviously allowing this. So that's one of the the sub points that you kind of allude to you you draw the conclusion at this point and we haven't done any of the research yet or a real study on it but you're already beginning to get the sense just by what we've looked at huh interesting god allowed this yes it's it's like at every single chapter that we go through god gave god allowed god gave favor god showed god revealed god right so god is big <laughs> he's big in this and god's he's watching it he's in he's involved in it he's aware of it it's not just happening how does that apply to you and i today do you feel today with all that's going on on the news just today that you're feeling a little crushed and perplexed and frustrated and even angry. I know I am. And yet when I stop and I regress from the craziness of the world and I go back to this kind of a subject and I think, oh, who is it that is God Almighty who's, who, who reigns in the, in the heavens, who is watching, who is allowing certain things to happen, what does that do for your heart for a person who loves God and trusts him? Wow, peace, big time. All of a sudden, the anger and the frustration and the fear of what might happen tomorrow, right? It just dissipates into the, into the confidence that God gives to you and I, the peace that he gives to you and I through the things that he's showing us through this historical record. And we are just barely scratching it. Isn't that exciting? Okay, so we see that what happens is they, these are captives from Jerusalem. They're taken into Babylon. So what we now know about this, this is not necessarily the beginning of the Babylonian kingdom, but it's this is the beginning of Jewish captivity, right? By Babylon. Well, okay, okay, Judah. Judah's captivity by Babylon. Thank you. That's that's better. Okay. All right. So now we have what's going on, the big picture. What else did we have? God gives them into their hand. Captures from Jerusalem. I'm going to put on there. God gives them. Uh, Judah into Babylon's hand. Um, that was in one, two also. Daniel makes up his mind not 
Yes, okay, so we see a storyline in the what part about Daniel uh, makes up his mind. Not to defile himself. And it, although it's not super declarative, what we see is obviously his friends are going along with him, right? He's got some support in this. Um, okay, 1 8. All right. Now, um, I mean, and there's a lot more detail to that, but that's the bigger, that's kind of basically the big picture, right? We don't need to go into a lot more details. Now, if you want a title, and this is the interesting thing about precept, when you are going through in an overview, you do begin by making titles for each of your chapters. But let me tell you, they are rough draft, okay? Always use a pencil when you're writing these in, because you will probably change them before it's all over, okay? You will either cut words out or add more words or, you know, it'll get rearranged in some form or fashion. So, but your first blush through, how would you title chapter one? And I don't have room to write it up here, so I'm just going to take y'all's words here. Okay. Babylon captures Judah. Good. Okay. There you go. I like that one a lot, too. Da oh, so Daniel and friends... Taken, you know, taken captive to Babylon or whatever. Yeah, they, they don't just go there on their own. <laughs> They're taken captive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not a road trip. They weren't going willingly. <laughs> yes, they do. He excels. And when we do our our in our detail. Our chapter study on that, we're going to dig all those points out and really elaborate on that and make a stronger emphasis on those particular points because you are absolutely correct on that. Huge, huge life lessons to learn from what Daniel did just in chapter one. I mean, if we could just do chapter one alone and carry that with us in our pocket, it might be good to you know, print it out and hang it above our TV sets or something. But yeah. Also, Daniel walks a fine line between his resolution to keep his rule, his Jewish law, mm -hmm. and also being very diplomatic. Yeah, he is. Right. Lots of di diplomacy and, and wisdom in the way he manipulates that, but God gives him that ability to do it, absolutely. So we're going to get there also later. Um, at the end of it, yes. Theme is not like a literary theme. Basically, it's a title. I know, I know. You know what? The terminology that she uses, she uses the word theme. Theme means title. What is the major message in it? Now, it, in when you're looking at a book that's history, history is more um, about people, places, and events, correct? That's the major thing. So your title should have something to do with the people, places, and the events that took place, right? So however you titled it, as long as it sort of culminates everything that you see going on in chapter one, it's going to be close enough. And then when we get into chapter one and do our detailed observations in chapter one, you will you will actually uh, bring that title down to a tighter, more accurate 
understanding because by then you'll have dug out all the characteristics you wanted to learn about Daniel all the things that you're learning about God you know right now we're looking at context that's all we're looking at we're not into the the meat yet all right but we do see in verse 19 uh, a major thing in, in the conclusion of it actually right at the very close of the chapter what does it say They entered into the king's service. Now, who is the they? Daniel and his friends. And who are Daniel and the friends? Where did they come from? Judah. Judah. So th these are sons. Earlier it talks about them being Israel's sons. Are the sons of Israel or the sons of Judah? So the sons of Judah or the sons of Israel are put into service to who? To the Babylonian king. Would you think that historically that might be a pretty strong point to make if you consider who they are they're sons of Israel they're sons of God they are from the living God's covenant people and they are now serving who another king that's to me a profound historical marker point which is why we kind of looked at it here historical setting Jerusalem is besieged by Babylon and what happens as a, as a result in chapter one Daniel is in service to the king to that king and to the follow-on king. So, now, that isn't the end of the story with Daniel, because we're only up through chapter 6. But at this point, what we're seeing then is Daniel, who is a son of Israel, is taken captive out of his land, put into uh, service under a Babylonian king. And he remains there for a period of time. So we've done a lot. If we only get that much out of what we've looked at, even if we didn't get time, we may not get time to get through all of these. We're going to try to get through the rest of them more quickly now because now we've established, I think, our boundaries and our timeline. Now we can just say, okay, what's the next, what's the next? And did it happen sequentially? That's what our next job is, is to see where the next chapters fall, right? It should be pretty easy. So now let's look at chapter 2. Okay, let's look again at the who. Who's in chapter 2? Nebuchadnezzar and... Oops. 2-1. And Daniel's seen in what chapter and verse? 2. Where's Daniel's name come up? 1 also, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. My notes say that, anyway. <laughs> okay. Uh, who else is mentioned? Who are the other key players in Chapter 2? Yes. 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 In verse 12, go look at verse 12, and it kind of gives you a nice, concise name that we're going to call them. The wise men. These are the wise men of where? Of where? Of, the, of Babylon or Chaldea, right? We're going to learn later Chaldea and Babylon mean the same thing. So we have not only Daniel, but then we also have the wise men of Chaldea. Oh, is it 13, not 1? Okay, thank you. I'll have to fix that on my page. Okay. Um, and I'm going to put on here two... 12 for this one, the wise men of Chaldea. But they're really detailed back up where you brought them out earlier. Let's see. I should open my observation worksheet. It would make my life easier. 
There you go. See all the lengthy. I mean, so what in that particular list, what are they explaining to you about basically who this group of wise men are? What, what is their role in the kingdom? Obviously, they're giving some kind of advice, right? Advice about, does it really give you, what does the word conjurer tell you? <laughs> they're sorcerers and they're conjurers and they're, so it's it's kind of into the realm of the spiritual, correct? They're kind of spiritual um, leaders or guides or whatever to, in some form or capacity, which comes along as you move through there, therefore, is contrasted with Daniel, who, who what? Where does he get his insight and wisdom from? They're wise men, but his wisdom comes from? From the one true God. Amen. You got it, Angie. Okay, so... Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he had a spirit. <laughs> yeah. What kind of a spirit did he have? We talked about that yesterday in church, actually. <laughs> Not in church, outside of church, in our little group meeting. <laughs> we have a lot of private Bible studies out in the hall <laughs> that are really fun. Come join us. Okay. <laughs> okay. So those are the main characters. Daniel, basically, uh, whoops, wrong one. Sorry. Yeah. Daniel, uh, the wise men of Chaldea. Nebuchadnezzar, of course, God comes into play. And God is, in this chapter, in 2.19, how is the title given to him? The God of Heaven. Now, I want to, uh, for the new students in particular, I want you to understand something. The way that God is addressed in texts, as you're reading through the, t the scriptures, the titles that he is given are essential for us to fully come to understand. And in your homework, she is, Kay will at some point address these things and ask you to go in and look at them. But simply a word study on the name in that particular passage or scripture is going to, to give you mountains of in, insight about what it is that is the point that is trying to be made there about who God is, okay? So if you just do a word study on the word God in each of the verses that you come across where his titles are given, then you'll get a, a little better insight on him. So keep that in the back of your mind for later. Okay, um, when is this one? Ah, second year of rain. Aha! <laughs> so chapter 2 then falls right here, and this is the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, correct? And that is in chapter 2, what verse was that? 2, 1. Okay. So now we know it's sequential. Correct? Chapter 2 falls sequentially after 1. Well, that's very nice of them. Makes it really easy. Um, one of the other things that helps to support our understanding that it falls sequentially, besides the fact that we see him setting up his kingdom at the beginning and first taking them into captivity, right? Uh, Daniel and his friends in this chapter 1, uh, they are being trained. And we didn't put that on here, but Daniel and friends are being trained, right? Right, are being trained to serve King Nebuchadnezzar, right? Okay, so... 
You mean you watch your cheat sheets? <laughs> yes, I will do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of course it's not. No, no, no. Absolutely. <laughs> I know they're freaking out. Now, now, this timeline will not be in the things that go out. Just my chart. Okay? Because this is all done by hand. I, I do it by hand just like you guys would. It's on a piece of paper with my colored pencils. It's nothing fancy. And I don't, I don't do it on the computer. So, and... Ah, yeah, sure, Chris. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. So, on, in, in chapter one, it says at the end of the days, which the king had, had determined. And how long had he determined? Three years. Okay, this is what we're going to do. And so, it was three years training, right? What verse was that in? In chapter one. 118. Okay. Just so you know that, Daniel and his friends are being trained to serve the king. It's three years of training. But in chapter 2, where do we see Daniel? Well, what, what has happened in chapter 2 is that um, the king wants a... Uh, a dream interpreted, correct? He's had a dream and he wants it interpreted. And because these supposed wise men are unable to do this, the king is really upset. So upset that what is he about to do? Kill them all. Uh, in order to kill Daniel, what did these uh, soldiers have to do? Well, they, they had to go find them. So if they had to go find them, what does that tell you? They weren't in the castle being trained anymore. Where were they? Out in the service of the king. See, it's a conclusion thought that you, you draw once you realize what they've taken, the little pieces of information they give you. Uh, is that a need? Annette. Okay, thank you. Okay, so one five. All right, so three years and at one eighteen they were at the end of it, correct? So what we see is that by the time we close chapter one, they've come to the end of their three years training. They were selected to serve the king, so we know that's done. When we get to chapter two now, what we see then is in verse um, uh, two, verses twelve and thirteen. Someone read that. So you go from chap from verse one chapter one verse five, then you go to two, twelve and thirteen. Yes. Okay. Yes, there you go. It sure does. And so that goes to show you that Daniel's little test and the way that he, he very strategically works his way uh, around not being having to defile himself. I mean, he's really taking a lot of risk in it, right? And really trusting God in it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yes. Okay, good. Is that first chapter, yes, Daniel makes it through his third year. This just gives you like a little backup because it said in the second year he started having this dream. He still had to have all the wise men coming to him and he's telling them, you tell me the dream first 
and then tell me the interpretation. That's how I know. And then we can't do that, okay? Bring in the next people. We had to have lots of wise men all over the kingdom, and he's waiting for them all. And my, my suspicion is maybe they didn't go to Daniel because he would have just graduated the program, so to speak. Let's bring in the ones with experience. No, if you go back, he had to dream the second year. He's not necessarily done. He had a dream in the second year, and then he's like, hey guys, come help me. Right. Okay. And what I and what here and here's what I want to say. What Christine just did was very good. However, we're not there yet. We will all get there by our inductive work once we get into chapter one and two and three, right? I mean, everybody listening to me on that? Right now, what we're doing is drawing conclusions from the big chunky pictures, what's obvious. And what we're seeing here is we know that there's a dream that occurs in his second year. This has to happen first. Now in the second year, this happens. And then somewhere in that time frame that follows that second year, Daniel is now serving and they have to go out to find him to bring him in. So what we're, what all I'm trying to do is to, to show you that it happens after what happened in chapter one. The dream. I can put the dream. Yeah. Right. No, there's not. That's exactly correct. And I, I, I actually didn't quite go that far in my own thinking because I'm still way up here. But yes. So what you can see is in the second year he has a dream. And so what we know now is it it's follows what's already happened in one. In one we're talking about him establishing and getting people trained up. It's followed though in 12 and 13 where it says in order to get Daniel to kill him, <laughs> because he's now considered among the wise men, right? He has to go out and find him, which means he's out in the service of the king in his kingdom. So he's obviously done with his three years of training, and it's at least three years into things now at the point where they're going to carry out this execution of these wise men, okay? Does that make sense? Okay, so uh, what we've done is we've... Okay. Don't do that. <laughs> She's taught this too many times. I mean, I can explain it. The how we get from chapter one to chapter two, but I don't know. We're not there yet. See, that's what I want. I want you guys for self-discovery when we get there. Right now, we're what we're looking for is big, big, obvious points. Because when you start, you don't start by fully understanding everything. All you're doing is you're looking at the obvious. Would you say it's obvious? That chapter 2 follows chapter 1 sequentially. It has to, right? Because in the first one, he's in training. In the second one, he's out in the kingdom serving the king as a wise man. And he's now going to be killed because he's counted among the wise men. When you're in training, you're, not, you're still not the wise man yet. You're in training. But it's after training. Now he is a wise man. Now he's going to be killed as are the rest of the wise men. And that's the scenario of what's going on in chapter 2. But we're not, we don't want all the details yet. We will, I think we will parse it out and it will begin to make sense to us once we get there. For right now, all I'm trying to do is get a timeline. When did chapter two occur in relationship to chapter one? It follows it. Okay? All right. Sequentially, it follows it. Very good. All right. Now, when, okay, that's the second year of the reign of uh, Daniel is serving. 
as a wise man. And that was in 1, 12, and 13, or 2, rather, 12 and 13. Okay. Um, now, there's a vision in this one, correct? What's the vision? I'm not going to write this down, but what was the vision? It was a statue dream. We don't want to know any of the details about it yet. We just want to know he had a dream, right? Uh, we see that that the king cannot interpret it. He wants someone to explain it to him, right? He can't even, he says that he, he um, doesn't even fully remember all of it, but he obviously remembers enough of it that if somebody were to repeat it back to him, he'd go, oh, yeah, 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 that's what I saw, right? So he's wanting them to say, not only are you going to tell me what I dreamed, but you're going to interpret what I dreamed. And, and this, in a way, it's a test for them. It's to say, are you really wise men? Do you really have powers, right, to do this? Are, yeah. Uh, yeah, or are you a are you a great big sham artist, right? Exactly. Okay, so um, the result is what happens then? The contest occurs, correct? What's the contest in two? What's what's being competitive in two? The wise men of Chaldea are pitted against who? Daniel, and who wins? Daniel, our our man, right? He sa he really saves everyone, doesn't he? You would think they would be forever eternally grateful to him. No, no. Instead, they're jealous, right? Yes, yes. So now title it. Title chapter 2 for me. Okay, King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. That's a good one. I like that. I like that one too. The God reveals ne the king's dream to Daniel. I like that one. That's a good. That's a really good chunky. All it has to do is help you understand what what's in that chapter. If Nebuchadnezzar has a statue dream, is all you need to know what's going on in that chapter. That's a good title, right? The less wordy, the better. Generally, um, you want to give it. You want to make it big enough that it's a trigger reminder for you as to what's going on in there. Um, and later you can clean it up and add more details if you want to, right, for your final title. For, so for right now, just that uh, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream or Dan, Daniel interprets the dream, that's good. All right, chapter 3. Okay, we've got who again? So we still have Nebuchadnezzar. And that's in 3-1, right off the bat. No, it does not tell us at all about any uh, year, does it? Um, after what? Ah, very good. Okay, so Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image, which is, okay, then Nebuchadnezzar the king said words. Now, where does it say after? Yep, oops. Hey, listen, you know what? That's a, that's a good catch, and that's the process. You go, oh, whoops, I don't see my scripture verse on that. Where did I get that from? Oh, I guess I I guess I assumed that, right? So good catch, Kristen. That's super. That's you know that's how we learn this process along the way. Okay, so the other people in that who are also the who's, 
The first one were wise men, and who are these? Yeah, they're, and they're rulers, right? Rulers of the provinces. The satraps and the commissioners, and then it goes on, and it gives a whole lot more names to that. And it's all that accumulatively. These are uh, the rulers of the province of Babylon. That's in three three. Yes, it is. By the way, Susan. Yes, is Susan asked? Is it? I'm sorry, I heard it. Susan asked, "Is is are these people different from the wise men?" What do you think? Yes. Why do you know that? They are their titles of work are completely different, right? Yeah. The others were sorcerers and conjurers, and these guys are the satraps, the commissioners, right? Basically, the rulers, the governors of. You could put the word. I put the word rulers. You could use right from the text the word governors. That would work too. Governors of, right? All right, and then there are three specific. Go ahead. I love that. Oh, that's a good point. Good point. I didn't catch that. Okay, Daniel's here. When? Um, so. Yeah, I like that. The king. And now give me the exact wording. The king made Daniel. Okay. Yeah, that's a good point. Okay, so I like that point. So the king did that. And also, um, I'm going to put here Daniel's. Three friends, also administrators. And give me those verses. That's in chapter 49. Okay, that was a good catch. I like that. Okay, because you're right, that does actually give information into the next chapter because in the next chapter then where he opens and he begins to tell us about rulers right we know who's included in that Daniel Shadrach Meshach and Abednego right um those are my titles <laughs> the names I can remember I always get the other ones mixed up I can remember them if I work really hard at it but okay okay say it again um, yes, we could. It's a little more of a detail, but what we know about the fourth man in the fire is it's either God or of God or something along those lines. And since God is always a key person, you could le definitely legitimately say that's a key player. So we'll just put fourth man in the fire. Although it doesn't become... As it, and that's in uh, three, what verse? Ah, the fourth man in the fire? Thank you. Uh, rescued her. Hallelujah. You've been rescued too today. How about that? Okay. All right. So 
chapter 3 is about Nebuchadnezzar, the rulers of the province of uh, Babylon, and then also who? Those three men of Judah. Is how I'm titling it because I don't want to write out all their names. <laughs> but technically you would want to write out Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In chap that's in chapter 3, verse 12. Okay. All right, so that's the who in the in chapter three. The when. Well, the only thing that we really have as a when time factor would be who who is ruling. So it's so when would be Nebuchadnezzar is king of Babylon. Or he's king, at least it says, right? Three one. Very good. So, yes. So, because he says a win would be uh, three men uh, of Judah. Yeah. Okay. So, what we've got here is. We see then chapter 3 follows in the sequential order. And so we're, we're traveling in the right direction by simply sequential pieces of information that you're just picking up and pulling out. And it's kind of a bit of work, isn't it? I mean, you do have to really slow down and look for, it's so, it's so tempting to get down into the weeds when you're doing overview, but if you can make yourself stay up in the bigger picture, what she's doing there by pulling out, these have been uh, designated to be administrators, and now it says over here they are administrators, they've been appointed these administrators, then you, you now know it's sequential. Okay, so what does that, well, actually, what does that clue tell you about the Babylonian kingdom? It's a world kingdom. It's not, it's not a, a um, what do you call it, a geographically confined area, but it's a much wider area. So this is how we know it's a world kingdom, right? So that's a good clue that uh, it's a world kingdom when Babylon... It should, but I can tell you this, anytime you start adding in prophecy, which we're going to start seeing, we already see a vision here, but when prophecy starts get throwing in, sometimes things get mixed up, and you have to look for the order of things by the clues that are given to you so that you stay in the correct order of things. That's right. But when we get into some of the other chapters ahead, chapter 7, 8, 9, 10, 7 in particular, and so forth, they're going to be 
there's going to be more events that we're going to look at. And we're going to, well, where are these? Are these things in chapter 7 occurring in here? No. That's right. It's going to be different. That, right. But the purpose for what we're doing right now is to show you where we are right now in these first six chapters in the timeline. That's all we're doing. We're wanting to make sure you see where we're at right now. It really can be, but for the sake of people who can't stand to not talk about uh, about God right up front, which I totally get because we are all about God. I mean, that is, we're absolutely, he's our hero, right? He's our guy. But, um, so I'm putting him up there because he's always considered con uh, king in t it, when it comes to... Right. But anytime God is mentioned in the text, you do mark him as a key word. And we will, when we go back and do chapter by chapter, our our detail, uh, our chapter observations, when you do that, you're going to dig into all the God qualities that you need to learn, right? But uh, for right now, today, for historical context setting, no, because God, God is... Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but just the fact that he's there, it's not, it doesn't hurt to mention him in this for now, but yeah, that's why when she said the fourth man in the fire, yeah, we can add him, but is he essential to understanding the historical context today? No. Okay. That's exactly, well, exactly, so when it comes to titling, you, it, it might make a significant difference for you, but so, yeah, yeah. And remember, these these tools that we're using, they're really flexible. You, they're not hard and fast. There's really no right and wrong. And if you go to, listen, when I did my markings this week, you know how you're supposed to go in and just look at the big things. But I can tell you I did more work than I should have. But there's no law. Nobody's going to come and arrest you and take you off to precept prison if you do too much, <laughs> right? Um, now, if you do too little, it's going to hurt you. But if you do too much, it, it will just mean you'll have extra information the rest of us won't have, which means you'll have to probably bite your tongue during our discussion time until we're ready for that information. Um, and we also know that, I mean, I know a whole lot more than what we're talking about here. I could just, Jennifer, too, who is a precept teacher and has done this before, um, you know, we could, we could explain the whole book right now in five minutes probably. God wins, just so you know. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I only have 15 minutes left. Did you hear that? We got to get through three more chapters. Let's see if we can work through this quickly. Okay. So the win is um, after they've been assigned. So we've established chapter three in the timeline and titling of chapter three. Then how would you title it? Okay. Nebuchadnezzar makes a golden statue. Okay. They are, there you go. That's the other side of the story. What's the, the, the end of it is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are cast into the fire, right? Okay. I had a, a British friend when we were living overseas when we did uh, this particular study the first time, and she titled this chapter, Burn, Baby, Burn. <laughs> she had the funniest person. She had a lot of humor in her personality. I always think of her every time I see Shadrach. Burn, baby, burn. <laughs> All right. Chapter four. Next one.
big picture? Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel are the who's. And Daniel, all right. When? Well, verse 4 kind of gives us a, an indication that what, what kind of things have maybe already taken place. This is kind of like the David story where David gets in trouble with Bathsheba because, what, well, what is he doing at that point in his life? He's up in, he's not going to war and he's not going to work. He's lounging around, right? So here we have Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 4, verse 4, and what does he say he's doing? He's at ease in his house, right? And, uh, yeah, flourishing in my palace, right? Okay, so no, to people, all the earth, and that verse was one, okay, and then it says he is flourishing, oh, I got to know how to spell flourishing, F-L-O-U-R-I-S, flourishing and at ease. In his palace. So that gives you a clue as to when also. That's in 4-4. Right? So time has gone on. So back here it's talking about the, the, the whole world basically is going to come under him. So now we know chapter 4 follows. Correct? He's flourishing. The king is flourishing. Okay, four, two, and three. Um, he's saying that God has done all these great things for him, and then he goes on to explain how he came to that conclusion, right? Right. Right. I had this happen. So we know that several years have passed, right? Periods of time have passed, and now he is giving a statement of praise to God after a period of years has passed by. And we also know that um, he is at a place now where he is praising God himself. Okay. Right. Okay. So he's flourishing. He's at ease. He's in the palace. He is, it is written as an account after the seven periods of time. Have passed. And we don't know how many years now. Uh, let me see if I can. Let's, so 16 tells us about that. Um, Let's do 16, I guess, 416, because we know we needed to know about the seven periods of time.
right, have passed. So we know it's sequential after that. Uh, he's already been flourishing in his palace, and seven periods of time have passed. Right, but he, what he's doing is giving us an account of what happened afterwards, right? He starts it, he says, to the kings and the people of the nation, it seems good to me to declare the signs and the wonders what God has done for me, how great his signs are. And he says, so, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my palace. So now he backs up and he tells the story of what's already happened. Does that make sense to you? Are you following that? Okay. He couldn't have written the account before. Before it happened, because he's at the end of it and he's praising God for what God did, even in spite of the fact that he spent seven periods of time in the wilderness in madness. Now he's writing after that has already occurred and saying, this is what God did for me and this is how he got me there. Okay. Yeah, pass. Exactly. So good catch. Excellent. All right. So seven. Okay. What does it say in 29? Oh, yeah, there's also that. <laughs> 12 months, okay, 12 months after Daniel warned him. Yep. <laughs> okay, and what verse is that 12, uh, per 12 months? 29. So this is 429. Okay, so in 429, we know that there was 12 months after Daniel warns him God's going to do this. Then we have another seven periods of time, which we'll figure out later what that means exactly in time reference. So we can see for sure a good hunk of time has passed. And it's, it's he's flourishing in his palace. So all these other things have occurred. We're in order of things and now we're at this point here so there's years of time that have gone by which is interesting when you then go back to this timeline and chart and look how many years did Nebuchadnezzar reign from 605 until 562 so how many years is that did anybody figure that one out I didn't 43 years okay so he, he was on the throne for 43 years. And somewhere in there, he comes to this revelation of God that God takes him through. And he takes it, him through it through a period of um, experiences that take him there. How many of us have known people who have been exposed to God, have seen the workings of God in other people's lives, have been exposed to who, who God Most High is, but have not themselves bowed their knee, right? And then what happens in that person's life is God takes them through something personally devastating. A sickness, a loss, a, a death, a financial struggle, a divorce, uh, I mean, a catastrophe. The house falls down and rolls away and the bank goes bankrupt or something. I mean, when you go through hardships, what often happens to people? They remember that God that was so faithful to Daniel and his three friends. And during that time, at some point, and, and he says it in the midst of this 
account of what had happened to him that brought him to bow his knee. He says at the end of those seven periods of time, which by the way were also decreed by God, which is going to teach us something more about who our God is again. But at the end of that period, then what did he do? He lifted his eyes to heaven. He acknowledged who God was and praised him. Isn't that an amazing story? I can't wait for us to, to go in and get all the details on what we're seeing in his life and how it changed his life, how Nebuchadnezzar was transformed. And uh, hopefully by that point, we'll have dug out a little more history on who Nebuchadnezzar actually is also to understand that this is almost like a um, an Adolf Hitler, you know, turning to God in, in repentance. It's, it's an amazing redemption story of a man who was ruthless and vicious, a, a murderer, right? Very self-indulging. As a matter of fact, at the opening of this, I was standing on my palace and I am looking at the grandeur of all the things that I have done, right? So he goes from this very arrogant, very prideful position to humbled. And what took him there? And then then you, the next point in that is to contemplate in our lives how we hate the trials that come into our lives, how we despise them, even as Christians already in redemption. And yet we, we resist God pruning and, and, you know, winnowing away rough, all the rough spots, right? And yet... At the end of it, in this storyline, what we see is the redemption of a heart of a man who was so hardened against God and who was so evil in all of the things that he did and so arrogant. And rightly, he could be. He was the king of the, all the earth at that point. But to recognize that it was God most high that put him there is where we're going with this. Yes. Well, he is in the dream. It's going to show all of this to us, too. There's the, the statue dream, number one, but then there's also going to be the tree dream. So I'm going to leave it as is because it's still accurate. So that part you didn't get in, in error. Um, he, he is writing to his subjects who are all the people of all the earth. Okay. Yeah. Okay, now, five, let's, so let's go with, let's just do a title on four, very quickly. Oh, there you go, I like that. <laughs> I like it. Oh, isn't that true? God can bring anyone to their knees, that's good, like that. What was the dream of in four? A tree. You could just say a tree dream, right? And... That would give you the trigger to remember that's what that chapter is about. There you go. Boy, that's a good law. That's a, I'm done saying that, but it's excellent because you really in a nutshell just said the whole storyline, didn't you? That was great. Okay, chapter five. We've got like two minutes. One minute for five and one for six. <laughs> Sorry, guys. And, if we, and it's okay, but listen. 
what we have done here this morning is you are seeing the pattern that we're, we're doing here. I'm showing you what you need to do now for next week because you've experienced what we're looking for rather than you trying to guess what we're trying to get you to. Sometimes the homework assignments are a little, the, the instructions are a little bit too vague for you if you've not experienced doing inductive work before. The process of learning this, it is a process and it takes time. I'm telling you, it took me about 11 years to figure this system out where I, now I understand what I'm going for. When I, what do I do when I'm in a history book? What do I do when I'm in a prophecy writing? What do I do when I'm in a letter, right? The epistles. Um, I now know how to handle each literary form and I also know all the tools. I'm familiar with all of them. So if one isn't working for me, I go, oh, I wonder if I did this, if that would help clarify and I know what tool to go dig out of my box and and utilize so you're going to be learning that so this week's lesson for us is for me to teach you the pattern of what we're doing in overview when we get into chapter observations I will take you to the next step and show you next what you're going to be doing okay but you have to do an overview because why it's context and context helps you Retain the standard of sound doctrine. You don't, you want your pot to fit the standard, right? When you're done, you want to bring it back and set it in there and say, oh, it fits. Yay. Right? Okay, chapter five. How about if we do this, five and six? Let's just get to the titles. What did you title chapter five? Handwriting, Handwriting on the wall. Boy, is that one. And what happens at that, in that point that's historically on our timeline really significant? That's right. Babylon is brought down. God says so in the writing on the wall. He said, brought your kingdom to an end. I've, I've, I've weighed it, found it wanting, right? I've, I've numbered it. And so he brings the, the kingdom down. It's the last day, basically, of the, of the kingdom of Babylon in chapter 5. And consequently, it is also the first day of what? Darius the Mede. And in, and in chapter 6, it goes on to show us that Darius the Mede is not alone. Who else is in that kingdom? Cyrus, who is a Persian. So it's the Medo-Persian Empire that rises up at this point at the end of chapter 5 and then chapter 6. So what you see here on this timeline is we go at the end of chapter 5, we now go to the Medo-Persian Empire or kingdom, right? I should use the same word, kingdom. Okay. So, fi so five, you said handwriting on the wall. What about six? Title for six. What happens in six? Everybody knows that story, right? <laughs> Daniel in the lion's den. Okay, and this is a new king of, of a new empire. What, what is happening in verse, the very first verses there? What about in 6.1? What do you see him doing there? Again, uh, he's appointing satraps and commissioners and all these different rulers. So you know this is at the very beginning of the establishing of this new kingdom in chapter 6. That this, this um, basically this false accusation comes uh it's a plot a it's a conspiracy to um unseat unseat daniel from his position right 
and we'll get into more details on that. Any other comments or points or things that you want to bring out before we close up? You did good. Do you feel okay about it? Anybody have any hesitation? Now listen, I'm on call 24-7. I, I have a text. I am a late night owl person, so you can text me into the middle of the night. I may not answer early in the morning, but <laughs> but I'm up all night. <laughs> so just get a hold of me if you need me. And then anyone else in this class will also, I'm sure, be happy to help you as far as the process. I will also meet with anyone who wants one-on-one -on -one training on how to do the inductive process if you need that help. I'm very happy to take you through those steps. Okay? All right. Thank you, guys. And I will see you next week.